Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. He's risen. <laughs> it's awesome. He is risen indeed. I always love saying that because I never grew up in a church that had that response back. But the, every time I say it, I just, oh, that's a thing for people. But he's alive and he's risen and we celebrate his resurrection really, honestly, every day. But it's just so good and so important for us to take uh, significant moments in our yearly calendar to really focus in and hone in and ponder and meditate on things like the resurrection. So hopefully you feel like you're already just reminded of how good he is, how powerful he is, how worthy he is, and we're going to keep diving into the power of his resurrection this morning. But if I haven't met you, my name is Mitchell, and I'm lead pastor here, and just so glad you guys are with us on Easter Sunday. If you are a guest or first time or not really connected yet, don't forget, Maggie mentioned this when you walked in, but there's a little connect card in the seat back right in front of you. Fill that out, and then you can bring it with you if you want to um, the next steps area right after service. But let's, um, let me just share a couple more things about um, Easter and about the resurrection, um, because I just, I just don't want us to forget how special and how important this is to our faith, because really the resurrection of Jesus is like the hinge to your faith. If you are a follower of Jesus, you believe in him, like he's your Lord, you want to live for him, like the resurrection is the, the make or break of your faith. Did you know that? Look at a couple of things that... Um, that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, it'll be on the screen, but he recaps the gospel, then he takes a few lines to highlight the resurrection. I just want to show you this this morning. Um, I'm going to be preaching uh, on something else, but I just want to take some time to think about how incredible the resurrection, how important it is for our faith. It says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Anybody thankful that Jesus died for your sins? Me too. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Seth Cephas, or also known as Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. That's cool. That's, did y'all know that happened? That's awesome. Anyways, and then most of whom are still alive, though some have taken a little nap. Just kidding, they died. Uh, so it says they fell asleep. <laughs> so then he goes on, he, so he's just recapping the gospel. Okay, there's some, some important tenets to our faith right here. But then he was actually addressing something because there's some people at this Corinthian church that were saying that there's no real resurrection of the dead. Um, and then he responds to that by saying in verse 13 and 14, he says, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And look what he says. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Another line says that you're still in your sins if he didn't raise from the dead. Then he even has the boldness to say in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. What on earth? What he's saying is like, if you are, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, but you proclaim to be a Christian, you are one of the most foolish people in the world. But you want to know his conclusion? Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead. <laughs> it's amazing. And I just want to remind you guys that Jesus' resurrection matters a lot, and he really did come back to life. Do you believe this is actually real? <laughs> this is amazing. He actually rose from the dead. You guys know that there's been a lot of religious figures uh, in his human history. You guys know that? They all died, and they all stayed dead. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Every 
uh, atheist philosopher of the past is dead, but for some strange reason, no one's been able to find the body and bones of Jesus for 2,000 years. I guess somebody hit it real well. Or he's alive. He actually rose in victory. Listen, y'all, we are absolutely crazy being a Christian if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But he did. He's the only worthy sacrifice of our sins. God confirmed it by raising him from the dead. And right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and we're going to see him in person again. He's coming back. He's been faithful to every promise. God has been faithful to every promise from the very beginning. He said that though we had sinned, we had been broken that relationship with God, he would send a Messiah. He would send a Savior. He did, Jesus. Jesus talked about how he would be the sacrifice for our sins. And guess what? He really did die. He was a sacrifice. He also said he would raise from the dead. And he did. And he also said that he's coming back again, and he will. And uh, it's why we celebrate today. He's faithful to his promises. He really is alive. And it's the reason that we can celebrate today. It's the reason we have hope today. He's alive. Look at somebody next to you and tell him he's alive today. Come on. It just gets me excited, guys. We don't serve a, a dead God. He's faithful to his promise. So we're going to, um, we, we started last week. How many of you guys were here last week when I started a, a series on the Holy Spirit? Raise your hand real quick, please. Just show up real high because really, it's helpful to know who was there, who missed it. Okay, so let me give a little recap. So the, the title of this series is By My Spirit, Says the Lord. Everybody say, By My Spirit. So this is a one-liner taken from Zechariah 4, 6. It says, Not by might nor my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In this series, it's, it's about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And, if, and here's kind of the premise of this series. If we want to be a follower of Jesus, if we want to live a biblical life, if Jesus really is our Lord, we talk a lot about being a disciple of Jesus here. If we really want to be a disciple of Jesus, we cannot do it in our own strength and our own power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit in our lives. And so as a follower of Jesus, we want to become well acquainted with Get to know, spend time thinking about and studying who is the Holy Spirit. What does he do? How do we walk with him? How do I, how do I see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life? And so we are in week two of a six-part series on the Holy Spirit. And let me put up this slide again for, last, again for those of you that missed last week. There's a little resource. And if you want to pull out your phone, you totally can right now and take a picture of that QR code. But what that is is a very, very helpful resource. I actually have it right here. I mean, literally, it's just pieces of paper. It's all this. But it's a resource that answers a lot of questions about the Holy Spirit. It's full of scripture, and it's just super, super helpful understanding who he is. How do I engage with him? How do I walk with the Holy Spirit? And and why is is he very significant in my relationship with God? So uh, anybody want this hard copy? It's not like a free book. It's just paper. But anybody want this that doesn't like reading notes on their phone? Anybody? Okay. Maybe does. Let's go, bro. Here you go. Merry Christmas and Happy Easter. Love you, bro. All right, so today, um, pretty much last week was just kind of like an overview of who the Holy Spirit is. We looked at John 14, 15, 16, and I uh, really encourage you to dive into those passages because that is kind of like the longest explanation with just different one-liners and different truths about who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, but today, on Resurrection Sunday, we are going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons why is because the Holy Spirit and his power had such a key role in Jesus rising from the dead. 
And we're going to look at a verse, kind of the, the main verse of this morning in Romans 8, 11, that talks about the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And so we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you guys know that the Holy Spirit has power? Is he, do you know that he wants to give that power to you? Acts 1, 8, some of you guys are familiar with this, says, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, what do we think about when we think about the power of the Holy Spirit? I want you to just let, let the wheels start turning right now. What do you think of when you think of the phrase, the power of the Holy Spirit? Now, you could think about uh, the Spirit's power to heal. Okay, all throughout Scripture, I don't know if any of you guys have read, you, you, you see a lot of healings, crazy miracles that happen. The blind seeing, the lame walking, the deaf hearing. And some of you guys have seen that actually in real life today, in real time, God doing miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit to heal. But actually this morning, that's not the power of the Spirit that I'm talking about, though that is a demonstration of his power. Also, when you think about the power of the Spirit, you can think of times where just God's presence and the Spirit's presence is so strong that just crazy and strange miracles begin to happen. I think of a couple times in scripture there's a story in acts chapter 4 where the believers are praying together and it says the spirit of god fell so strongly that the walls began to shake and it wasn't an analogy <laughs> it was like the walls were shaking something powerful was happening and then it said they were all filled with the holy spirit and spoke the word of god boldly i think about that i think of other times in scripture where it talks about god's presence filling uh, the room and people couldn't even stand under the weight of god's glory and some of you guys have been in settings like that where God's presence was so thick, so strong, you felt like you couldn't even stand. I've been brought to my knees before under the, uh, the power of God's presence in his spirit. And that is a demonstration of his power. But that's actually not the specific thing I'm talking about this morning when I think about the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, you could think about the power of God's spirit that drives out demonic spirits. Anybody thankful that there's more power in the spirit of God than in the enemy? And yes, I mean, all throughout Scripture, the ministry of Jesus is filled with story after story of Jesus casting out demons, demonic spirits, evil spirits, setting people free from captivity. And some of you guys have seen that today. It still happens today. People are in bondage and, and by evil spirits or whatever you want to call them, and, and there's power in the Spirit of God to drive them out. But yet again, that's not the power of the Spirit. I thought, you know, Easter Sunday, let's talk about casting out demons. Actually, that's not the one I'm talking about today, though that would be amazing. So he, does anybody know... That Jesus was filled with, baptized with, the power of the Holy Spirit came on him when he was baptized. It says in the form of a dove, okay? <laughs> it's, just, it's just awesome. It says like a dove. So some of us, so many of us picture like, you know, actually a literal bird. I don't, it just says that it was like a dove, you know? I'm glad I didn't say like a vulture. <laughs> you know, Spirit of God comes on Jesus, like a vulture. Anyways, that, that would be weird. I'm glad it says dove. It's just gentle and peaceful, all right? But right after he, the power of God's Spirit came on him after he was baptized, we heard this voice, there's this voice in heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you guys know what happened right after that? He went into the wilderness for how many days? Anybody know? 40 days to be tempted by the devil. So before any demons were cast out, before any healings were happening, before he raised anybody from the dead, before his power and presence showed up in that type of way, those are demonstrations of God's power and spirit. But before that, the power of God's spirit came on Jesus, 
so that he could overcome the temptation of the enemy. So today, what we're going to talk about is the power of the Spirit to overcome sin in your life. That's what we're going to talk about. It's going to be great news. Guys, here's the deal. The gospel is really good news, and it is so much more than a ticket into heaven. It's even, I'll say it this way, it's so much more than forgiveness of sin. There is power by God's Spirit through the resurrection of Jesus to not just forgive you of your sin, but set you free from the power of sin. It's really great news. And we're going to talk about the power of God's Spirit to overcome sin. We often think, when we think of the power of the Holy Spirit, these like incredible moments, you know, where the music is loud and a bunch of people are praying over somebody, and of course there's fog machines in the back. Anyways, and then, and then boom, the power of God hits somebody. Okay, I said to say something about fog machines last week. Anyways, but, but what about when you're all alone in your room and you're tired, it's late at night, and you're tempted to sin? You need a power greater than your own if you want to overcome. And great news, God has given us a power that is greater than the power of sin. And I used to be a math teacher. Look at the screen right here before. I'm giving you this incredible, sophisticated math equation here. You guys remember in, in elementary school, before you learn plus and minus and equals, you learn greater than or less than. Remember this? But look at this truth. The power of the Holy Spirit is greater than the power of sin and temptation. I want you to leave that up there just for a little bit. Listen, this is so simple. But listen, if, I, don't want, I want to keep it on there on purpose for a little bit. If you believe this, I dare even say if you believe it a little bit, this has the power to transform your everyday life. You have been given an invitation and access to a power that is so much greater than the power of sin. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been in situations where I feel really tempted to sin in very, I feel it's so strong. I feel like I couldn't get out of it. But there is a power greater than that. And it's the power of God's spirit. If you believe this, this will radically transform your life. So do you believe it? Awesome. I hope we all, including myself, believe this more before the end of the day. And guys, guess what? It actually matters. You know, it matters what we believe. And this is kind of a, a, a true, I call it a truth premise, just something that's kind of underneath the service that I, don't, I just don't want us to, I don't want to assume everybody believes this, but like what you believe actually can make an impact and a difference in how you live. Like John, uh, John 8 is a great example. Jesus is preaching about, um, uh, there, I think the verse will be up on the screen, but he's saying that if you abide in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? It will set you free. Like if we believe the truth, it'll set us free. It's especially important when we're talking about the power of the Spirit to overcome sin. In fact, he keeps going. It's literally the best context of this passage. It's not just freedom in general, um, or freedom from shame or freedom from condemnation, though, of course, it's all part of the package. But in particular, he's talking about freedom from sin. Look what it keeps saying, uh, verse 33 through 36. It says, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham have not, never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we'll become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free. How much? <laughs> free indeed. Free indeed. So what we believe, if we believe the truth, it can lead to our freedom. If we believe lies, it can lead to bondage. And, and you can put that little sophisticated math equation up one more time. If we believe the truth that the Spirit of God is more powerful 
than our tem- the temptations of sin that just and it always comes our way, then this has the power to radically transform us. And I just, my, my prayer is that we believe this this morning. And then that we can to begin to walk it out. Okay, so let me pray that over us, and we'll dive into a lot of scripture this morning. So y'all agree with me as I pray. Lord, I just thank you that you're in this room with us. We thank you for the gospel. And Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I ask over every one of us that we would believe this truth more than when we walked in today. That the power of your spirit is greater than the power of any sin or temptation that would come our way in this life. Thank you that the gospel is great news. And Lord, we just ask for you to continue to touch our hearts and open us up to receive all that you want to give us today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. All right, if you've got a Bible this morning, why don't you turn to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6. Um, we will have plenty of scriptures on the screen. I just always encourage, especially if you're new, I always encourage you guys, bring your hard copy Bible to church. It's always helpful to kind of follow along there, and it might uh, spur you on to read it on your own, uh, maybe even a little bit more. And um, also, I always encourage you guys to take some notes. But Romans 6, 7, and 8 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. And I, I just, I love the progression that you're going to see here because I think it's, it's really connected to the weekend that we are on right now. In short, let me give you kind of a simple overview. Like Romans 6 reminds me of a lot of the cross. Romans 7 reminds me a lot of potentially what people were feeling on Saturday. And then Romans chapter 8 reminds me of the resurrection. And you're going to see lots of verses in these three chapters that reference the resurrection. And that is, that is very purposeful because the resurrection is very much connected to the power of God's spirit. And like I told you earlier, Romans 8, 11, let me actually put it on the screen right now. This is kind of the, the, the primary verse that we're working with this morning. We're going to get to it at the very end. But it says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That is really, really, really good news. And we're going to unpack that by looking at these chapters. Why don't you actually turn to your neighbor, and I want you to, in your own words, I want you to speak that truth of your neighbor. Here's an example. The spirit of God lives in you, or the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Go ahead and turn to a neighbor and just speak that truth over them. Ready, set, go. Try it. Do it. Boldly. You got it. Let's go. All right, it's good. It's good truth. Really good truth. Now, if you're in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus uh, yet, you haven't surrendered your life to him and received his forgiveness of your sins, you're still wondering if Jesus is worth following or what Christianity is all about, then technically that statement's not true yet for you, but I'm so glad you're here. Because I think already the Spirit of God is working on you and probably drawing you to himself. You're here at church, and uh, today's a great day to surrender your life over to the Lord. It's a great day to get saved on Easter Sunday. Amen? And I'm so thankful that there was a day, um, however many years ago, about 18 years ago, that I said, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need you to wash me clean of my sin. And so thankful that I did that. So if that's you this morning, there'll be opportunity at the end of the service to come receive some prayer. But let's dive into Romans 6. We're pretty much going to read all of Romans 6 and then a couple different parts of Romans 7 and Romans 8. So Romans chapter 6. You guys there? You there? All right. Verse 1 through 4 is where we'll start. It says, what shall we say then? 
Uh, we need to continue in sin that grace may abound. Now, let me pause just for a second before I keep going. Romans chapter, really all of the book of Romans is such an incredible book. If you're wanting to get a more detailed and theologically rich version of the gospel, just read all of Romans because Paul just breaks a lot of things down. And specifically chapters one through five, he is really unpacking a lot of the history about Abraham and just the Jewish people and how we got to this place of Jesus um, being the sacrifice. We were just singing about it this morning, the lamb that was slain for us. And then he's talking about the mercy and the grace of God and, and how it's only through the blood of Jesus that we are made righteous. And so in chapter 6, he's just clarifying a couple things because he is so much emphasizing that we are made righteous not by our works that he wants to clarify a couple things, especially as it relates to sin. So let me read it again. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? There is an answer to that question, by the way. You ready? Verse 2. By no means, exclamation point. <laughs> all right? Now listen, there's all sorts of thoughts and ideas out there in the world and even, unfortunately, within the church that pretty much answered that question differently. But we're just looking at the Word of God together, and it says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? The answer is no. If we are under a belief that it's okay for us to continue in sin because it has something to do with the grace of God, the answer is no. Is God gracious and merciful and forgiving every time we choose sin? Yes. Woo. Great news. But if we're believing something that empowers us or gives us license to stay in sin, then we believe the lie. His grace in Titus chapter two, the grace of God, it says this, it says the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness, teaches us to say no to sin. So the real working of God's powerful grace is that it empowers us to turn away when we're tempted. But let's keep rolling here. Verse 2, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, there's a little resurrection verse for you, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Anybody, that sound interesting to anybody of you? Oh, you're like appetizing? You want to walk in newness of life? <laughs> Me too. So these first four verses, I feel like it just sets up, kind of sets the stage for us of where he's about to go in the next couple chapters. He just kind of, again, Jesus died and he rose again and we are buried with him, died to our own old sinful ways and we are raised to newness of life. But then he's going to break down a lot more of the implications of what that means. And so let's keep going. Verse 5. And I'm just reading a lot of scripture this morning on purpose because I want the word of God to wash over you. Verse 5, it says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we had died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, there it is again, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is some good stuff right there, guys. 
I think in short, I would summarize this as this is really speaking about our new identity if we believe and follow Jesus. It's speaking of our new identity that no longer are we bound to what used to enslave us, but Jesus has set us free. Our new identity is free, children of God. No longer slaves. Anybody like that song, No Longer Slaves? Old school. I would sing it, but I'm not. Anyways, and, and this is very important because we need to view ourselves with the right new identity if we want to have any hope to continue going further in the truths that Paul's explaining here. And it's how we think about ourselves. And then verse 12 through 14, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. So good. So, such similar just truths washing over our minds, and we need to, I think, meditate on these so that we can believe the truth that sin does no longer have dominion over us. Now, a lot of what you're reading right here in Romans 6, it's a lot less action-oriented. We're going to look at a couple of verses in chapter 7 and 8 that's a little bit more action-oriented. These are just truths to renew your mind with. It's a great idea to take really almost any one of these verses in Romans 6, 1 through uh, 14, and just speak them out loud, to, in a sense, to renew your mind. Like, this is the truth of who I am today. Let's keep going. It goes in a little bit more into some action here, but then we'll break some more down. Verse 15 says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? There's an answer to that again. By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you uh, were committed, and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Let me pause there. Everybody say the word sanctification. <laughs> it's a big churchy word there. Some of y'all's translations, it might say uh, unto holiness. So sanctification is a big word. It's a very important word, especially if you are interested in actually being a follower of Jesus, being a disciple and growing in your walk with God. It's an important word because really it means that God, as we follow him, he continues. Sanctified means makes us holy. And he, he, what that means is he strips things off of our life. The more we continue to follow him, he strips things off of our life that, that are not of his kingdom, that are not pleasing to him. He purifies us is another way that this Greek word, is, Greek word is used. He purifies, makes us holy, makes us righteous. But let me read that last uh, verse again, verse 19, because there's something about it that I just don't want you to miss. It says, I am, uh, uh, the second part, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, look what it leads to, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Or if you say it the same way we just read before, uh, slaves to righteousness leading to more righteousness. And I just want to pause there because I think there's a, a really helpful truth, especially as we get into, okay, what does it look like in your day-to-day -day actions? What he's saying is 
if you're continuing to give yourself over to sinful, lawless impurities, then it's going to lead to more and more of the same. And I know that it's very true of my life, and I'm going to share kind of at the end of uh, today, just part of my, big part of my testimony, the more I, uh, and just getting deliverance and breakthrough from sexual sin, the more I gave myself to that, the more perverted it got, the deeper I got in slavery. But it also says a really more encouraging truth that as we become, quote-unquote, slaves of righteousness, it leads to more righteousness. So when we choose righteousness or when we choose God over sin, what's going to happen is it actually leads to more likelihood that you're going to choose righteousness again. Okay, there's a little line. I don't want you to miss this. You can take a picture of this. Here's what it says. When we choose today, what we choose today increases the likelihood of choosing it again tomorrow. Do that up there just for a second. What you choose today increases the likelihood of you choosing it tomorrow because what you're doing is you are, in a sense, the Bible says this phrase, training yourself in righteousness. <laughs> you're teaching yourself how you respond when temptation comes. Now just remember, it's the whole premise of this series, when I say the word choosing, this is not a choosing in your own power and strength. This is not a gritting your teeth. This is a choosing by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But when we, by his grace, by his power, choose righteousness, it actually leads to more. Let's keep going in Romans chapter 6, verse 20. It says, for, you, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting in that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, everybody say free gift, <laughs> the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe you're familiar with that last um, verse, and it's just such a helpful summary of all chap chapter 6, just reminding us that this gospel, this good news of what Jesus paid for us for is a free gift, and we get to receive it by his grace. And again, if you're here this morning and never received that free gift, my encouragement is to receive it this morning. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. It's given to us graciously by God. All right, now we're about to take a little turn here, okay? We're about to go into chapter 7. And again, let me just remind you, chapter 6, and I read a lot of uh, scripture, but I'm not sorry for it because I want us to get the word of God washing over our minds. But I think it's a very good chapter to, like, solidify your identity if you are a believer. You are dead to sin, but you are alive to God. But then we're going to take pretty much a hard turn in chapter 7 because that's not going to be your takeaway from chapter 7 as we look at chapter 7, okay? So what he does is he takes the first few uh, verses to explain a little bit more about the nature of the law because you need to remember he's writing to a lot of Jews here, and they need some explanation of, wait a minute, how does the law work? He gives an analogy in the first few verses of marriage and a married woman, husband dies, and all, all this kind of stuff. The point that he was trying to make is that we're, they are not bound to the law anymore. And by law, I mean trying really hard to keep rules. He says you're not bound by that, and you don't have to keep trying to do that in your own power. So let's pick it up in verse 7 of chapter 7. You guys there? You with me? All right. Chapter 7, verse 7. It says, What then shall we say? Is the law sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, ceasing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. 
I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So he's differentiating between, okay, wait, no, no, no. We're not saying that the law is bad or God's commandments are bad. What it's saying is ooh, that what it did is it exposed our sin. Is the whole intention of the law anyways to expose that we are sinful. And what Paul is about to do, and we're going to read it, so don't worry. What he's about to do is go into a, I guess I'll call it famous, but very interesting passage where he talks about the nature of what I will call the sin cycle. Everybody say sin cycle. Here's uh, a way to describe the sin cycle, though Paul will describe it himself in the next few verses. It's... um, as a believer, it's like you want to do good, but you end up not doing good. You feel bad for a little bit because you chose sin. You confess it to God, and maybe if you're a really good Christian in an accountability group, you'll confess it to a few other Christians, all right? And you start to feel a little bit better the more the time goes by until you sin in the same way again, and then the same thing starts happening over and over. You feel bad, you confess it, and then you, you feel a little bit better, and then it happens again, over and over and over again. And here's how the sin cycle can make us feel. There's a little slide. I got a, some alliteration here because I want you to see this because I, I think, unless I'm the only human in this room, I think this will resonate with some of you. When you feel like you're stuck in the sin cycle, here's how it makes you feel. Down, discouraged, defeated, dull, and dead. And then if you look at verse 12 again, it says, uh, sorry, the verse 11, it says, sin seizing the opportunity through the commandment, it deceived me and through it killed me. All of these things, if you stay in the sin cycle long enough, almost the most dangerous thing is the last part I'll throw up there, is that it can also lead us to deception. Okay, here's the, leave that up there for a little bit. The initial deception when it comes to sin is, hey, do this thing. It'll satisfy you. Do this thing. It's actually what you need right now. That's the initial deception, but that's like phase one. The enemy doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't stop. He's trying to destroy you. <laughs> Did you know that? He's trying to destroy us. He doesn't stop. If you stay in the sin cycle long enough, you can also deceive yourself, maybe because you're so, I guess, defeated or discouraged, you don't think there's any way out, then you try to think outside of the bounds of the truth of God's word, and then you begin to wonder, well, well wait, 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 wait. What if this is actually this sin, this thing, is really not that bad. Look, it's not that bad. You begin to compromise in regards to clear issues of sin or, or righteousness. Another way uh, that this creeps in a little bit is, you know, only focusing in on how you feel after your sin, mainly the phrase shame or condemnation. And it's just subtle, so just I'll try to explain it as best I can. We begin, to, we begin to focus on, man, I just feel so bad, and I really want to overcome shame and condemnation, and man, I make this. And what we begin to do, which, by the way, God does not want you to feel shame and condemnation. Do you guys know that? There is therefore now no condemnation in, in, for those that are in Christ. We're about to read that verse, Romans 8.1. Guess what? Ten years from now, Romans 8.1 is going to say the same thing. <laughs> There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus for all of eternity. Woo! Great news. Yeah. Let's go, Sawyer. For all of eternity, Romans 8.1 will be the truth. But when we like hyper-focus on, I just, I just want to stop feeling shame and condemned after I sin. Well, here's the deal. 
God is interested in you not feeling condemned, but he's also interested in you getting breakthrough from the sin cycle. And if you get breakthrough from the sin cycle, you're probably going to start to feel a little better. <laughs> and I say that with, with laughter because I just, I just it, there's freedom in this. And I just, I just want us to be careful to make sure we're not missing the truth and getting deceived by subtle little lies of the enemy. Or things like, well, God is so gracious to me, and if I stumble off and on, it actually helps me remember how much I need his grace. Now listen, when I stumble and when I sin, I am so thankful for the grace and mercy of God, and I experience it. So there is some truth to that statement. But again, if you're allowing a, some sort of thought in your mind empowering you to stay in a sin cycle, then you've missed it. I've missed it. We've missed it. His grace empowers us to overcome. Now let's keep reading. I'm going I'm to give you Paul's example of the sin cycle because some of this will really resonate with you. Romans 7, verse 13 through 24. You guys ready? Are you still with me on Easter Sunday? This is a lot, huh? This is good, though. I I want us walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and uh, care about us doing that. So here we go. Verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Let that just sit with you. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. To carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Be careful with that one because he's not blame shifting, he's just acknowledging that the flesh is still around somewhere and that sin still dwells in him. Verse 21, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members, in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So Paul is giving his own version and description of the sin cycle. I want to do right, but I'm not. I want to do right, but I'm not. Ah. And then he says, who will deliver me from this cycle, from this body of death? And here's a, a very crucial point that I want to make this morning. What well, one is if you feel this way, just know that you're not alone. Paul was there. I've been there. And I think everybody in this room has been there. <laughs> you're not alone, so don't feel like you're isolated here. But also, to be honest, a lot of Christians read this passage and pretty much assume, like, okay, the Bible has ended. (laughs) This is the Christian life. This is actually the best description of a believer, Romans chapter 7. You try real hard to do good because you want to do good, but then you fail. 
you feel bad, but it's okay. You get back up. Righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up, right? All right, I'm getting back up. I'm going to try hard again. Oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And then I fail again. It's okay because I'm going to try harder. And so I'm going to keep trying harder, and I'm going to try to overcome this, and I'm going to get some victory. And then I, look, look how long. Oh, wait, fell again. Dang. But don't worry. After you get really discouraged and defeated, just, just try again really hard. This is the wonderful Christian life that Jesus died to give us. All right, let's all stand. Ban, you come on up. <laughs> just kidding. Great news. The Bible doesn't end in Romans 7. <laughs> so this, stick with me here. This, this point, this passage doesn't end in Romans chapter 7. Romans 7 doesn't end with what I just read. There is an answer to that question. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus will deliver you from this sin cycle. Jesus will deliver you from your shame and condemnation. Jesus will deliver you and set you free from your sin that enslaves you. Jesus can. There is an answer. And there is hope. And I want us to believe it. He keeps going because he's in this journey of, hey, the reality is, here's the truth, Romans 6. Either in the past or sometimes in the present, we feel like we're in Romans 7. But do not quit and do not give up and also do not rely on yourself and how hard you can try. Because there is a deliverer to the sin cycle. He did not just, I said this before, he did not just forgive you of your sin, give you a ticket to heaven, and then say, live in Romans 7 from now until you die. He also freed you from the power of sin. By his blood and by the spirit of God, we can actually walk in this victory. Because right after Romans 7, you know what's next? Romans 8 talks about a life filled with the spirit of God. Talks about a life free from condemnation because of our past. And listen, that's the past of 10 years ago. That is also the past of yesterday. So I don't care if you feel like you've been going like this and yesterday you slipped and you messed up. There is freedom from yesterday's condemnation as well as 10 years ago. There is a life in the spirit that Jesus invites us into. And guys, this is what makes the gospel such great news. Because if you end the Bible with Romans chapter 7, the gospel's not that great of news. I guess it's good-ish, like... But this life between now and eternity sucks. <laughs> you read cha Romans chapter 7. That's horrible. I usually don't use that word. Happy Easter. Gosh. <laughs> Sorry. Especially parents. Sorry. Verse, the rest of 25, as he says, hey, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh or the sin that lives in me, I serve the law of sin. The only thing that your flesh wants to do is serve sin. Okay, we establish the truth that that flesh, that sinful nature in Romans 6 is dead. It doesn't control you anymore. So we establish that truth. But as we're trying to walk out that truth, we feel like we're in Romans 7 a little bit, okay? But if we ask the Lord not for more grit and strength and ability to be a good Christian, but we ask him so humbly and desperately and genuinely for the power of God's spirit over our life, 
there is another victorious Christian life you can live. And that is like, that, that completes the actual good news. There's victory. There's triumph in Jesus. Let's read a little bit of Romans 8. Verse 1. There is therefore. Oh, it's still true. It's still there. This is great news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh, you cannot please God. Woo! That's a, I know that's a mouthful, but let's keep going. It's really explaining the difference between living in the flesh or in sin and living in the power of God's spirit. Verse 9, you, however are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And here's our verse, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life. Everybody say life. Life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That word life in verse 11 is so much deeper. Look it up in the Greek if you want to, but yeah, I can't pronounce the Greek word for it, so I'm not even going to try. <laughs> it means so much more than just like you're living, like you're breathing. Because a lot of people are breathing, but they're very dead on the inside. What this means is that the Spirit of God is in you. He brings life, quickening is one of the translations, quickening to your spirit, power in your spirit, energy, invigoration, revitalization in your spirit so that you're walking in a victorious spirit, not a spirit that's dead and defeated and dull. This is what he's saying. And listen, guys, it's an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 12 and 13, the last couple I'll read from Romans 8. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But catch this. But if by the Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice what it doesn't say. But if you try very hard in your strength and ability because you're a good Christian, then you'll, you'll, you'll defeat the flesh. That's not what it says. But if by the Spirit... Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will walk in that victorious life. And let me just ask a question to see if it's true. Anybody want a victorious life? I think I'm in the right room. That if you look at these two options, you're hopefully leaning more towards Romans 8 than Romans 7. But it's good to know the full picture. So let me give you a couple couple things as I'm beginning to wrap up. I'm about to get pretty practical, and then we'll, we'll go eat some burgers and hot dogs. Don't worry. Bounce houses, of course, too. Here's what I'm saying and what I'm not saying before I give you a couple practicals. What I'm not saying this morning is that you will live a perfect life from here on out, and you will never sin again. You'll never make a mistake again. 
The Bible actually warns that it's actually dangerous to go there to assume that, oh, yeah, I, I, I live in Roman Romans 8. I haven't messed up in like three years. <laughs> I've actually heard people say that before. But just I also want you to know when I, uh, it's, it's also dangerous, like I said before, to give in, any license to yourself to remain in sin. So what I'm not saying is that you're going to be perfect if you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit. What I'm also not saying is that if there's some sin in your life that you keep going back to, what I'm not saying is that you should assume that you'll still stay in it a little bit until Jesus comes back. I'm not saying that either. There is breakthrough and deliverance from that. There is a way you can get out of that forever before he returns. What I am saying is that there's freedom in Jesus. You can actually overcome. It can be conquered completely. And there is victory. In regards to the first thing I said, the Lord is so kind to us and so faithful that he'll bring up other areas of struggle in your life that you're unaware of right now. <laughs> and he'll keep sanctifying you forget forever. You need to hear this. My wife laughed because she knows me. But you, you might have something come to the top of your mind of like, yep, yep, this is something I feel like I'm in a cycle in. I don't care if it's every week, every month, every year, every three years. If you keep going back to it, you're stuck in a cycle. Okay, and the Lord wants to set you free from that cycle so that you never go back to that again. <clears throat> there might be some things you're unaware of right now that the Lord's dealing with this stronghold, and then a few years later you realize you need to grow in a different area. Okay, I'm about to share my story in a, in a little bit of overcoming the bondage of sexual sin. Okay, and the Lord delivered me, set me free, got me out of this sin cycle. Praise the Lord, and it's been lots of years since then. But I, I, I am in, a, I'm in a, a cycle of wanting to stop getting so angry and frustrated with my children. And I, and I want breakthrough. And I'm contending for the power of the Holy Spirit. When I'm tired and weak and my, I sprain my thumb and I, the baby's crying in my face and slapping me. And I'm, just, I'm trying to respond gently. But I feel like some days I'm in Romans 7. But listen, I'm contending for Romans 8. Lord, fill me with the power of your spirit so that I would respond gently when I'm disrespected, yelled at, slapped in the face by a two-year-old. I know it's hard, but I'm not settling. Parent, if you're a parent, you understand. All you young adults, stop judging me. <laughs> Listen, be careful. I used to judge some adults or some parents when I was not a parent, and the Lord's really good at humbling us. Anyways... All right. All right, let me, I want to close it up with some practicals because I want you all to just have a little, little tool in your tool belt before you leave, all right? So um, about to show you a little kind of acronym that can help you because I think what we don't talk about enough is I gave you a lot of truths, and I hope you feel just you feel faith in your spirit. I, I hope you feel that, especially if anyone feels like they're in a cycle of something. I hope you feel faith in your spirit, but the power of God is greater than the power of that, whatever that thing is that you're in a cycle of. <clears throat> but I also feel like we don't talk enough about what do you do when you're tempted? What, how do you respond when you're in a moment of weakness? How do you respond, all right? And here's a truth premise again. I told you that, that it's just some, something that's underneath the surface. I don't want to assume we all know. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Woo, that's a powerful truth right, now, right there. 
He will provide a way of escape. And guess what? He'll do that today when you're really inspired by this message. He'll do it tomorrow morning because you remembered what I said, every detail of what I said. You just remembered it. It's been it's in replay in your mind. You're reading through Romans 6, 7, and 8. You're going to be inspired on Thursday. Okay, but four Thursdays from now at 8.30 p.m., don't decide that there's no way of escape. It's true, always. We need to remind ourselves of this. But here, here's a little tool for you. It'll be on the screen. You'll love my little cute acronym here. When faced with temptation, what do we do or what can we do? All right? Look at that. What does that, what does that spell? Christ. Woo! When tempted, here's an idea of a couple things. Confess it out loud. Humble yourself. Reject the sin. Interrupt your plan. Speak scripture and thank God. Confess it out loud. What I mean by that is, is literally when you feel tempted, just go ahead and tell God that you feel tempted. Guess what? He already knows, but if you say it out loud, what you're doing is you're inviting God into the battle. When you keep it in here, you, it's up to you to overcome this temptation. You don't want to do that. You want to say something out loud. Say, God, I confess I'm being really tempted to look with lust or to look at this thing on my phone. You can even say, God, I confess, I am honest, I actually want to sin right now. Do you know that God's okay with that? He knows what's in us, but if you confess it out loud, it helps you give that differentiation between your flesh and sin and what the Spirit of God inside of you actually wants, which is righteousness. Say it out loud. Okay? And also, you can confess it and say it out loud to a friend. Walk with plenty of guys as they're walking through uh, sin and getting breakthrough. They just immediately, they just for a season, however long it takes, they just send an immediate text. They pick up the phone and they call somebody and they say, I am feeling tempted. I just want to bring that to the light right now. It's tremendously helped them. Number two, humble yourself. It's really similar to confessing it, but it's, it's, this, it's this reliance on God's power instead of your own. Don't even rely on the tools you have. Humble yourself before God and say, Lord, apart from you, I can't do anything. Fill me with your power. I can't overcome this, but I know you can by your power. Humble yourself before him. Reject the sin. This is pretty important, very important. And what I mean by that is the opposite of reject is to accept because what, 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 what the enemy would like for you to believe as soon as possible is that you will choose it. You're tempted, and then he wants you to believe that you're going to do it. But if you contend for, say, no, I reject this in Jesus' name. I do not accept the sin I am rejecting. I'm turning away. It really helps set your heart in the right direction. Interrupt your plans. This is always a really, really helpful one. So if you're, like, laying in bed and you're tempted, get up out of your bed. Run laps around your house. I don't care. Just do something different, okay? If you're, if you're only in here and things are spiraling, okay, you're like, whatever it is, guys. I'm not just talking about lust and impurity. I know that's my story and a lot of people struggle. But if you're just tempted to blow up at anger again, you're tempted to lie again, okay? You're tempted to drink another drink after you've had several again. If you're tempted to slander against somebody again. I don't care what the sin is. When you're tempted, just, just change your plans. Leave a conversation. If you know it's already gossipy, just leave it, Okay? Interrupt your plans. Speak scripture. Find some truths from Romans 6, 7, and 8. It's a great place to start. Find some scripture that you can speak out loud that will help renew your mind. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, like the first act of him walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, he was speaking truth, speaking scripture to combat the temptation of the enemy. We also need to have an arsenal, so to speak, of scripture inside of us to speak um, out loud to renew our mind, but speak against the enemy's temptation. And the last one is thank God. God, just thank him that there's more power in the spirit than there's power in the flesh. Thank him that he has the victory. 
Thank him that he's with you. Thank him that there's, there's breakthrough on the other side. Is this making sense? You feel free to take a picture of that if you want to. Write those things down. A band, go ahead and come on up. We're going to close this thing out here. So Christ, first one, confess it out loud. Humble yourself. Reject the sin. Interrupt your plans. Speak scripture. And thank God. Here's how we're going to close. Um, Jared, I have a new verse for you, if you could find it. 1 John 1, 9. And then we're going to go to all the way to chapter 2, verse 1. But we're going to end with communion in just a second. And I've told you a, a couple times throughout this message, you probably already got it, but just my story of being in the sin cycle for years of just sexual impurity, masturbation, lust, pornography, the whole deal. And the more I was in it, the worse it got. And uh, I was in it for years, and then I get saved. The Spirit of God is now in me, and it feels a lot different. It feels like I can't keep going that way. The Holy Spirit's convicting me. He's, he's showing me. I need breakthrough. I need help. And I go through a couple months of Romans 7. How am I going to get free? How am I, what is, Lord, I don't want to, but I am. And I, I guess, again, I know it's hard to explain, but I got to the very end, I guess, of Romans 7. Who's going to deliver me from this bondage, from this sin? And I guess there's something in my spirit that believed Jesus will. <laughs> by his spirit, by his power, he will set me free. I started believing these truths more. I got some tools in my tool belt, and I was relying on the spirit's power instead of my own power. And there's breakthrough, and there's deliverance. And it's been almost two decades since living that and agreeing with that. But I think the key is getting to the end of yourself and your own might and power and start crying out for the power of God's spirit on your life. But I also want to remind us that, you know, we don't, we don't have any access to the spirit's power without what Jesus did for us on the cross and through raising from the dead. And like I said, what I'm not saying is you are going to live a perfect life. So there will be times we mess up. And we need to be well acquainted with the spirit of God and his power, but also well acquainted with the cross, well acquainted with his mercy yet still contending for a Romans 8 type of lifestyle. So if you've got the, um, if you look under your uh, chair, you've got a little cup, why don't you go ahead and pull that up right, right now. In just a minute, we're going to take communion together. Jesus commanded us to do this to remember what he did for us on the cross. But let me read this unique verse because I think it really parallels with what I'm talking about today. In 1 John 1, starting in verse 9, then we're going to go to chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's clear truth. He's writing this that we wouldn't sin, but remember, if we do, there the blood of Jesus covers us. So what I want you to do right now before the band starts playing, y'all can just keep playing instrumentally, I want us to think about the cross again. 
in the next maybe one or two minutes, I want you to take communion, and I want you to thank the Lord for dying for you, for washing you clean. If you're thinking of something that you feel like you're in a sin cycle, just think about that thing and, and in a sense, bring it before the Lord. Bring it before the blood of Jesus. Let him, let him wash. Let him cover you. Let him remind you of his mercy this morning. And after two minutes, I'll come back up here and we'll respond to asking the Lord for the power of God's spirit over our life. So right now, between you and the Lord, take a few moments and take communion. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for your sacrifice this morning. Lord, we bring our entire life, our entire being, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We just bring it before you, before the cross. We pray your blood would just wash over us afresh and anew today. We confess any sin before you, and we thank you that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you will always be available to us, Lord. Your blood, always available. Your body, always available to us. We thank you for that this morning. We remember what you've done. And we receive your forgiveness and your grace and your love and your mercy anew this morning. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. I have a couple of our uh, life group leaders come forward. I like closing out the service by worshiping just one more song and then also give an opportunity to respond and receive prayer if you want some prayer. And Jared, would you mind putting up that math equation thing with the greater than sign? Here's... A couple things you can do in these last five to ten minutes is just, I mean, 
Stay right where you are and worship God. Think about this message. Think about what we're singing and just like believe it. Ask God for the power of God's spirit over your life more and more and more. You can do that. But also, I just specifically want to encourage you if you're honest and you're looking at this little equation up here and you don't believe it sometimes or some days or some moments and you just want more faith to believe that this is true, power of God's spirit is greater than the power of sin and temptation, I want to just encourage you humbly come forward and receive prayer from one of these folks. They would love to pray and ask God to give you faith to believe that this is actually true over your life. All right? So, Lord, we just invite you to minister to us right now as we're responding to you. Whatever it is, Lord, just right in our chairs, or if anyone wants to come forward, Lord, just minister to us. Speak to us about the power of your resurrection, the power of your spirit, and have your way as we close out the service. In Jesus' name, amen.